All right, let's study the scriptures together. Would you get your Bible out and turn to Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1, we're in a series called United. United, and it's a letter to the Ephesians, the, the believers. This is a circular letter that was sent to all kinds of churches in cities all around Ephesus. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm kind of excited about studying this book. It's rich, it's deep, and, and it has uh, some really important and essential ideas that we've got to embrace as believers in our 21st century experience. So let's, let's pray together. Father, would you illuminate your word in us? Lord, let it come alive. Give us strength and give us grace. Give us understanding. Help us to obey. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Our key verse, you'll see it in your message notes there, is Ephesians 2.13. And we're kind of basing... The, the whole series kind of out of this, this kind of verse, although this phrase repeats over and over again in this letter. And it is this, but now you have been united with Christ. You've been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. I think this whole letter is, is written in order to unearth the mystery of how Christ comes into a person's life. And when I say comes into their life, I think that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to identify. Because we, we, we sometimes use the language, we are followers of Jesus, and that's not necessarily bad language. But I think it can lead us to the wrong conclusion in our 21st century American mindset. That we are somehow followers trying to keep up. They were somehow just trying to make our way with Jesus, trying to catch up. He moves pretty fast. Sometimes we can veer off into another path and we stop following him. And sometimes we fall down and they were trying to get up. And he turns around and says, come on, what is wrong with you? It's the wrong picture of Jesus. It's the wrong concept. And I think Paul is trying to unearth that. You see, in, in the Gospels, what we see is that Jesus had huge crowds following him, huge crowds of people, and they were following him for all kinds of different reasons. Some of them were just curious. They were just checking him out. Some of them were hungry, and they wanted him to, to, to provide for them. Some of them were sick, and they needed to be healed. And none of, none of that in and of itself is ne necessarily bad, but I think what we find is that Jesus is teaching in John 15, and he says in verse 5, he says he's, he's teaching people about who he is and who they are, and he's talking about how he's the vine and we're the branches, and he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's your first fill in the blank there. Apart from me, in other words, any distance from me, if you get broken off from me, you can do nothing. If you're not in me, Jesus is using the metaphor of the vine and the branches, but he's saying you've got to be in me. What's going on, what's flowing through me has to be flowing through you. And, and I think this is what Paul the apostle is trying to communicate. Jesus himself, of course, invited people to follow him. So we need to look at that in Luke 9, 23. It says this, it's, it's there written in your notes. It says, and he was saying to them all, to all of them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, 
and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. As I started digging deeper into this verse, I discovered a couple things. Number one, in some translations, it says, the first line says, if anyone wishes to follow me, he's got to come after, he's got to deny himself, he's got to take up his cross and then follow me. And it almost says follow twice. But if you look up the origin of those two words, here it's a little more accurate in the NASB. It says, whoever comes after me. The implication of this original word is coming and going. People coming and going. It's just, it's just very simple. It, 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 does, it doesn't have any deeper meaning than that. But in the original language, as you, you know, and, and sometimes English somehow doesn't do us uh, do the right service to some of the some of the words that Jesus used when he says, "I want you to if you're coming after me, you got to deny yourself, and then you got to take up a cross, an instrument of death. In other words, you got to get get rid of yourself. You got to let go of yourself, and then you have to follow me. And that word is a totally different word than the first idea that says, "Come after me." And the idea that's in that word has to do with an encounter, has to do with an experience together. It, it implies oneness. It implies a connectedness and, a, and a, even, an, even a change. And so then, of course, he says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will find it. It's only when you give up that you really discover what Jesus has for you. I think sometimes we, we have so much in our hands, we have so much we're trying to hang on to in this life that we, that we refuse to sort of let go of everything and it's not until we let go and open our hands that he can put something in it. And so I, 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 th I think we have to see what Jesus is saying here. His definition of following is very different than the one we come up with today. And I, and I think Paul was talking about a different idea. Following Jesus may create a proximity problem. It may create a proximity problem. And so we, we, Paul, I think, is trying to, to unearth for us the idea of what it be, means to be in Christ. That's how the NIV describes it. What does it mean to be in Christ? What is this supernatural experience? It's not about keeping up. It's about being transformed from the inside out. And Jesus is drawing a line between those who just follow him and those who will be his disciples. Let me show you what I mean. Check this out in John 6. John 6, uh, I, 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 I included those, um, just these few verses in your notes. But in the context, what we find is that Jesus is telling a really nice story about manna in the wilderness. Manna was something that God provided for his people after they were delivered from Egypt and they're walking around in the wilderness and they're trying to figure out how to be a people group and God has to provide for them before they actually institute really all the, all the right things in their community and as they're going to the promised land. And so on the way, he provides for them this man in the wilderness. Jesus is talking about this and he says, I am the bread from heaven. He says, I'm the provision of God. Every Jewish person would have understood exactly the parallels he was talking about because that story was deeply embedded in their history. And so as he claimed to be the bread from heaven, the religious leaders, of course, got all irritated. 
Because they didn't want to really admit that this was God's new plan, that he was actually the Messiah. And so, um, so as, he, as he's describing this, here's what he says. He says, I'm the bread from heaven, and I'm the provision that you need. But then he pushes them. He, like, he, he goes too far, <laughs> which Jesus often does. Check out what he says in John 6. John 6, 53, he says, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Of course, we know from modern science that life is in the blood. That the life of a person exists in their blood. Jesus is talking about being the bread from heaven. It's a nice little analogy. It's a nice little metaphor. And then he says, I want you to drink my blood. Why does he say this? Is it a religion for vampires? What is it? What are we talking about? It's like a twilight thing. It's like he, he's, he's, he's pushing people to eat his flesh and drink, drink his blood. And he doesn't just say it once. Look at verse 54. John records it that he kind of keeps talking about whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up, them up at the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. You can imagine people who were following and watching him and they're like, he's going along with this analogy, bread from heaven, I get it, okay, that's awesome. They, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? Whoever eats my flesh, verse 56, and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Right after this, in that passage, it says, they, they start talking about it. What is he talking about? What is this? And they say this phrase, this is a very hard teaching. <laughs> this is a very hard teaching. If you go down to verse 66, you find this phrase, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus has a way of pushing us to an unreasonable surrender. <laughs> He, and, and, and make no mistake, he was using another metaphor, but he was using a metaphor that made everybody really uncomfortable. And as he uses, as he pushes people, here's what he was doing. He was pushing them to a spiritual revelation that they had to allow to happen in their lives. He, he, he forced them to push through the, the external idea of it to a spiritual revelation. That's what he was doing. And he was using this hard teaching to do it. And, in, and then he turns to his disciples, actually, in John 6, and he says, are you guys going to leave me as well? You guys going to leave? And this is, the, this is where Peter says the famous line. He says, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We're, we're, we're always going to follow you. They began to have a revelation of what Jesus was talking about. It's a spiritual revelation, and I believe that this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to see in Ephesians 1. So if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, we'll start, pick it up in verse 15. 
Because this, rev- this relationship with Christ demands a spiritual encounter. We're not just talking about following the teachings of Jesus. We're not just talking about a mental ascent to his ideas. We're not just talking, and I, and I think we, we have, in our modern culture, sometimes we live our Christianity out in our mind rather than in God's spirit who dwells in us. Check this out. Verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul hasn't met these believers yet. He's, he's praying for them. He knows that they're a fledgling community, and he's praying for God to do something in their community, for some, God to do something in their cities. Verse 17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. What's the spirit of wisdom and revelation for? It's for knowing him. It's for knowing him deeply. I want, you to, I want you to see that the Apostle Paul, in this first chapter, in his letter to these believers, he's using prayer as a bridge to speak into people's lives. He hasn't met them yet, but he's praying for them. There is nothing that creates a bridge into people's lives like prayer. We are bridge people. We are bridge builders. Not wall builders. We are bridge builders. And there's nothing so powerful for building a bridge into your neighbor's life or building a bridge into someone's life like praying for them. Building a bridge into your child's life, building a bridge into the life of a person that you're concerned about. You pray for them and Paul is doing that. He's praying for these believers and he's praying for God to do something really powerful. I want you to think about all the things he could have prayed for. In this day in Ephesus, the conditions in many respects were horrible. There was persecution. There was struggle. There was, there was disease. He could have prayed for any of those things. He could have prayed for diseases. He could have prayed. I mean, you stop and think about it, all right? When we, in our modern day, you want somebody to pray for you. <laughs> what do you want them to pray for you? The bonus, the promotion, right, the good, the good thing you have out here in your mind that you want to see happen to you, you know, do you, do you, want, a, do you want a bonus and promotion or do you want to know God better? <laughs> Sadly, I think we choose the bonus or, and promotion too often. And what Paul is doing is he's, he's highlighting a priority. He's highlighting an idea that the secret to understanding what Christ is doing in our lives is a spirit of wisdom and revelation. It can only be revealed to you. And what he's trying to reveal to you is how you are to know him. This is one translation, other translations say, in the knowledge of him. What are we talking about here? Are we talking about statistics? Are we talking about theology? Are we ta- what are we talking about? We're not... T- We're not talking about theology, we're not talking about commandments, we're not talking about statistics and what God has done. We're talking about knowing him intimately. 
knowing him intimately. And if you look at the origin of this word, it's epignosis, and that means an acknowledgement or a, a recognition of God. A recognition of God and who he is, that we're looking for that recognition. We're looking for him, and he's part of us. We're acknowledging that he's here, that he's with us. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but have you ever, you ever been like, I'm kind of a movie hound. I really like watching movies. And uh, if you've ever watched a movie one time and then recommended it to a friend and then watched it with them and then become appalled <laughs> that you recommended it. <laughs> this happened to me one time with my father-in-law. <laughs> Early on in my life uh, with Amy. And uh, I, we hadn't been married very long and... Uh, there's this thing about watching movies with your parents or your in-laws. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but I, I, w I was like, I'd, I'd watch this movie and, and we were you know, gonna watch a movie that night, so we went to Blockbuster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Does anybody remember Blockbuster? When you had to get in a car and use gas to go get a movie, <laughs> right? And you got a VHS tape so you could go put it in your VCR. <laughs> All the young people in the room are like, what are you talking about? So you, so you went, and, we went and got this blockbuster movie. We came and, and we, um, we listened to our eight track while we were on our way and then coming back. It was, it was really awesome. And then... <laughs> And then, and then we got the movie, and we're watching it. We're sitting down. Amy and her mom are off in the other room doing something else. So it's just me and my father-in-law. His name was Pastor Don. That's right, Pastor Don. That was part of his name. <laughs> for, for me, anyway. <laughs> and, uh, and so he was, uh, he, he was a firm guy, strong, quiet. My wife kept telling me, He's a softy underneath, but I didn't see that for a while. <laughs> Two tours of Vietnam, this guy was tough, and Jesus had saved him and rescued him from a horrible life, and he became a pastor. He's an amazing person. So we're sitting there in the living room, and we're watching this movie, and suddenly a very inappropriate scene <laughs> comes up, and I'm like, whoa, 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 ooh, so oh, man, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> I I need to go. <laughs> Just turn this off. <laughs> I don't remember that in there. I was like, man, I, 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 must have, um, I, I must have seen it on TV. You know, they edit those things, and I didn't remember that that was in there. <laughs> and then I politely excused myself and let him finish the movie. <laughs> really awkward. You're like sitting there, and as it's happening, you're sweating. Right? You're like... What happens to you in that moment is you are really aware of the other person and his opinion about you, about that movie, about what's going on in the room. You are so aware that it influences how you respond. It influences how you react. 
And then, I mean, I mean, really, ultimately, there, there is this, this thing, you know, we, like, like we need to be aware of Jesus and that he's here and that he's in me by the Holy Spirit, that he's with me. And it is this awareness that Paul is praying for, this acknowledgement that this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to think. This is how I want you to act. Your awareness of Christ is going to direct your steps. It's going to decide what you say and when. It's going to determine what you watch and, 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 and whether or not you should watch it. It's going to determine everything. And as he lives in us, this awareness begins to take root in us. Something transforms inside of us. And then, and then truth be told, as that takes root inside of us, it's really not about, <laughs> is it, was it, you know, it's not about me resisting temptation to watch that inappropriate scene. <laughs> it wasn't about me resisting temptation. It was about whether or not Jesus was okay with the scene. Jesus slash Pastor Don. <laughs> yeah, they were very close. They were very, very close. And so I... I I, I was, I, 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 this awareness, it's not about me. It's not about me resisting temptation. It's about me becoming so aware, so connected, so intimate with Christ. He gets all the credit. He gets all the credit for, it's not, no strength of mine, no power of mine. It's God's power working inside me. And this is what the Apostle Paul says here in verse uh, 18. Check it out. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. Okay, this knowledge we're talking about, this intimate awareness, I want you to, I want you to see that this is, this ha you have to open your eyes to see this. The eyes of your heart must be opened, enlightened, illuminated. You don't see it naturally. You only see it supernaturally. And he, and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. Hope is your first fill in the blank. He says three things. He says hope, riches, and power. Hope, riches, and power. Check it out. He says, he says I want you to, to see, I want you to know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. All right, my premise is, and I think Paul's premise is, is that if you understand the hope that lives in you, the riches that you have through Christ, not because you've amassed them, but because you have Christ in you and the power that is available to you, you have everything you need to handle whatever comes at you in life. You have courage. You have strength. You have wisdom. You have grace. You have Jesus. You stop wanting the things that you shouldn't want because you're so absorbed in what Jesus has provided for you. Hope, riches, power. I know some of you are like, I could use some practical riches, Pastor Ross. I really need money to pay my rent. Yes, absolutely. But here's what we have to get is that Jesus taught his disciples, when you pray, what do you say? Right in the middle of the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. If you will consume Jesus, 
When he was saying, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood, he was saying, I want you to consume me. You've got to get me inside of you. Think about bread. When you eat it, guess what happens? The bread becomes, it's, it breaks down as it goes through your system and becomes part of you. It feeds the cells in your body. It becomes one with you. That's what Jesus was saying. When he was saying, I want my blood flowing through your body, he was saying, I want you to be so one with me that my identity is coursing through your veins. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, I want you to understand this hope and these riches and this power. And then he goes on and he describes it. This power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms above all rule, far above all rule, far above all rulers, all authorities, all power, all dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Not just now, but forever. Check this out. Verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet. How many things? All. How many things? All. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for who? Says for the church. When Paul writes for the church, he doesn't mean the church offices. When he says for the church, he's not talking about the pastors. He's talking about his people, the called out ones, the people of God, that Christ has all this power, dominion, authority, riches. He has it all for the people who are called his people. And so he says, for the church, which is his body, right? We're connected to him. He's the head. We're the body. We're connected to him. Everything flows together. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is trying to fill everything in the earth. Jesus is trying to fill up the universe. God spoke the universe into being, and it be, it's, you know, scientists tell us it continues to expand, meaning his word goes forth, and as, as I believe that God spoke the universe into being, and therefore it keeps going. Because God's intent is that Jesus would fill the whole universe, that Jesus would fill people's lives, that Jesus would fill every person on the planet, fill every, in fact, I think a psalm says that the glory of God is what he's after, that the, the glory of God would fill the earth. God keeps stretching you because he wants more capacity for Jesus to keep filling you, to keep expanding you. And so this is, Christ is filling us, expanding us, increasing our capacity. And so here's the thing. You've got, your eyes have to be open to this. So how do you get your eyes opened? There's a little verse in here, Matthew 6, 21. It's a famous verse. You might have heard it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be, will be also. But then he says this little phrase, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then that light, the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then he finishes, nobody can serve two masters. Either he hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. 
He's talking about divided loyalties. He's talking about trying to focus on too many things. He's, he, he's saying, you gotta focus your eyes on whatever you focus your eyes on, that's where your devotion is going to be. That's what Jesus is saying here. Whatever you're looking at, whatever you're gonna choose to look at, light or darkness, it's gonna fill your life. And I think Paul is trying to tell us that we have to, we have to make Jesus the center of our attention, the center of our focus. So how does it work? How does it, how does it happen? Have you, ever, have you ever had somebody try to explain to you those pictures like that, that, that have the, all the dots in them and then you look at them and, and you can't see the image but it, it's a 3D image, right? But you, get, you have to look carefully. It's called an auto stereogram. Auto stereogram, it's a 3D image made, made flat and then, and then have you ever been with somebody who's trying to tell you how to see the image? Yeah, what you have to do is you gotta like just let your eyes cross. So I had one person, you just kind of like zone out. You let your eyes go fuzzy. You like have to look at it and then you kind of have to stand on one leg and then you kind of <laughs> cock your head like this and you can see it at this angle. It's really hard to see, right? And you're like, I don't see it. I, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not even real. People struggle this way all the time with Jesus, but then there's that moment. There's that moment when you're like, oh, I see it, I see it, it's right here, it's right, oh, I lost it, wait, 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 where is it? I, I, I don't, oh, I got it, I, I see it, it's right there. How did I not see that? This is what Jesus is after in every person's life, in your life, in my life. He wants to, to, to reveal himself in this way, in this intimate way. And there's just three, I think there's three ways it happens. And I'm gonna give them to you quick. The first way is through perseverance. When you pray, I want you to pray, Lord, open my eyes to know you through perseverance. Perseverance is a tough deal. You go through something hard, go through something difficult. Here's what James said. James 1.2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perseverance is finishing well. Perseverance is letting, letting this process that you're walking through have its finished work, which is changing you from the inside out. And let's be honest, when you think about why people come to church, why do they come? They come do they come when everything's going great? Very often they don't. They're driven to come to church. They're driven to turn to God when everything's going terrible. That's a good thing. I want you to notice that God wants people to turn to him and to see him. He reveals himself in the midst of a terrible struggle. We kind of want, want everything to be happy all the time. We kind of want to try to work our way through something and then, okay, we're finished with that. Good. Whoo, now it's smooth sailing. That's kind of what we want. We don't see that it's only in wintertime that roots grow deeper. It's only in wintertime that roots begin to push down. We want it to be springtime all the time. We want it to be summer. We just want everything to be green and enjoyable. We, we, we don't realize what is coming to us if we'll just, through Christ, 
persevere. Not persevere because you're so strong, but rely on Christ. Letting your eyes be fixed on him while you're going through this. Now, I, I confess, blindness can also be produced by people going through crisis and difficulty. Often people shake their fist at God and blame him for what's happening in their lives and they reject him and they refuse him. But I'm telling you as God's people that he reveals himself in the middle of a very difficult circumstance and he shows you a part of himself that you've never seen before. And if, if, if you will just look to him through your struggle, our joys are seen through Christ. Our job is seen through Christ. Your marriage is seen through Christ. Your kids are seen through this filter of Christ. Your friendships are seen through this filter of Christ that's in you, which Colossians says is the hope of glory. Number two, you, we, 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 God reveals himself through partnership. And I, this partnership idea is really simply, instead of just working on yourself, you're willing to partner with him to work on someone else. You're partnering with him for his purpose rather than just being absorbed in what's going on with you. And I find that, that all the way through the scriptures, God includes people. Here's one example, one of the first ones in the whole Bible, Genesis 2, 19. It says, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He get, brought them to the man, Adam, to see what he would name them. Notice that phrase right there, to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. God includes Adam in his work. Why? Could it be that one of the best ways to get to know somebody is watching them or working with them? It's true, man. If you, if you work with somebody, you discover what they're really like. <laughs> you discover the words that come out of their mouth when they smash their finger. You discover where the, how their ethic works, what, 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 what kind of work ethic they have. You discover so much about a person when you work with them. I think that's what God is doing here with Adam. He's including him in his creative work. Starts, I mean, and Adam seems to start off really good, hippopotamus, rhinoceros, and then blue bird. All the way to the end, red bird. He just started, I mean, he kind of loses his way. But still, but still, still there's this process where Adam is, is, is his, his heart and mind are being illuminated as he looks at all these animals. And God has a purpose in it, I think. And that is to show him that there is no helper suitable for him. He's going to create another person. Eve. Partnership begins serving, catalyzes God's grace in your life. If you, and I think it happens around here at One Chapel. It's like if you, if you want to see God do great stuff in your life, you got to serve other people because that's partnering with him in his purpose. This is not just a pitch for you to be on a team. I believe deeply that being on a team where you serve people it, it's, it's creating something, an opportunity, a, a, a moment. And the same thing happens with your neighbors. You, you, if you will focus your attention on partnering with what God's purpose is for your neighbors, you will see incredible things. God will show you. Finally, then number three is through the, the presence of God. 
Here's what Psalm 16, says. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. What I want to suggest to you is you have to cultivate the presence of God in your life every day. Every day. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. I'm landing on the plane, people. Come on, stay with me. <laughs> I'm... The cultivating of the presence of God, <laughs> you thought I didn't see you. <laughs> the cultivating of the presence of God in your life every day. The scripture says that his mercies are new every morning. Why are they new in the morning? Because you've got to start again that day. Listen, I was at a men's conference at Gateway, Gateway Church up in South Lake brilliant. It was awesome. Great speakers speaking into my life. I felt charged up. I felt energized. And I woke up on Saturday morning and didn't feel any of that. Hey, experiences fade. All the way back to the manna. Manna got moldy and stinky the next day. They had to go get new manna. What Jesus wants from you and from me is attentiveness every day. I got up, I, I, I didn't get up on Saturday morning, I woke up and I just felt like I'd been hit with a Mack truck because I'd stayed up so late talking to people and all that stuff and I woke up and there, and there, I, I got my phone and I dialed in my version app of the Bible and I pushed play on the, the, the guy who reads the Bible to me. Right? I push play, and, and I have to have the Bible read to me right now because I'm a little in Leviticus. It's really hard to... So Leviticus, bam, I land there. The Leviticus is read to me. <laughs> I start praying. I start my day focusing my attention on who Jesus is, that what he said yesterday is still true today. But I have to remind myself of that. And I begin to cultivate his presence in my heart and in my life. God reveals himself to us if we will consistently, daily spend time with him. Sometimes it just feels like you're doing it because you should. But that stuff stacks up. It stores up. God, God is the only one who can be your bread from heaven every day. And he has everything you need. And, and one day he just <laughs> dumps it all on you, suddenly. And there's a wonderful thing. You can't save it up, but he can. He's a savior. He saves everything for just the right time for you and me. Close your eyes, bow your heads. I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you here. I want, I want you to respond to Jesus Maybe you feel like you've been just persevering, just trying to make it. You don't, you, you've been following, but you can't keep up. It's time for you today to accept Christ in an intimate way. Not just try to be a follower, not just try to f follow some of his ideas, but to actually let him come and inhabit you. That you lay everything down, you lay it all down, and he comes and reveals himself to you at one of the most difficult moments in your life. Maybe you've just found yourself being selfish and seeing the world through your own lens instead of the lens of Jesus or the lens of the spirit that lives in you and you just found yourself just kind of being absorbed in what you're doing. 
And this moment is a moment where Jesus wants to come and he wants to give you new eyes to see, to shine the light into you. Maybe you just need his presence. Here, can I say something? You can only get more of God from God. <laughs> you can't get it from anybody else. You can't get it from me. You can't get it from a book. You, I mean, certainly I can lead you there, but God's the one who gives it to you. You can read a, a nice book, but it's not the book that catalyzes God's spirit in you. He wants to come in and inhabit you, widen, strengthen, enlarge your capacity to receive him, to be transformed. So I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if that's you, like that describes, any of those things describe you, and this is a day for you to become Instead of a follower, you are going to become united with him. You're going to let him in. I want you to just shoot your hand up in the air right now and say, yep, that's me. I'm in a hard place. I need prayer, Pastor. I, I need for him to show me what the solution is. Anybody? Anybody else? Yeah, I see it. Anybody else? Man, hands just keep going up, so I'm just going to wait here for a second. If Jesus is stirring in you, don't resist it. Just, just lift your hand. Just say, yep, Jesus, I need you. I need more of you. You have, you have all that I need. You, you, you have the joy that goes beyond any happiness that I keep pursuing. Anybody else? Say, Pastor, please pray for me. All right, come on, everybody in this room. Let's just all do this prayer together. Like, open your hands to the Lord like this. Like, just maybe on your lap or, you know, just, just open up in a posture of both surrender and receiving. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Maybe under your breath, you can just whisper it. Father, we need you so desperately. Lord, we look, for, we look to you and we ask you to come and fill us up. Lord, come and fill our lives with your self. <laughs> fill me with who you are. Fill me with your grace. I need you. I'm, I'm out of strength of myself and I need the strength that only you have, so God, come, make your way into my life. I give up, I surrender, <laughs> I yield, I repent. All my mistakes, all my failures, would you wipe them away? Would you wash them away? I want to start again today with you. Come and live through me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for healing. Thank you for strength. Thank you for wisdom. May the spirit of wisdom and revelation come upon us so that we can know you better. That's what we want, Lord. Thank you for this. We receive it now in the name of Jesus. Amen.